vote. All right, we're in a sermon in John 7 as well as in Psalm 107, and we're talking about it depends what you're looking for. So as you turn into John 7, let me tell you the story. Years ago, my wife Karen and I were looking to buy a car that was new to Hawaii. It's called the Mitsubishi, and, and we're thinking, I, I, I don't know what they look like. I don't know if they're any good. And, and so we wanted to see some Mitsubishis on the road, but we didn't know what to look for. And so someone said, oh, you know what? Mitsubishi is kind of, uh, kind of means three diamonds. And so their logo is three red diamonds. And they go, look for that, and you'll see a Mitsubishi. And so as we knew what to look for, we realized they're everywhere. They're all around us, and we ended up buying a Mitsubishi Galant. You see, the Bible says when you come to church, when you gather with other Christians, you're supposed to look for something. It says in Hebrews 10 to consider one another how to stir up love and good works. So we're looking, oh, wow, how can I bless someone? And so today we're talking about what, it depends on what you're looking for, and there'll be two extremes. One, of course, is those looking for spiritual faults. Now notice this list. They don't see the bigger picture. They're manini-minded. They, they uh, don't know about God's grace at all. There's no forgiveness. And they tend to hang out with other fault finders. Meaning, if you're uh, of this opinion, man, I think this stinks, and you share it with enough people, eventually you're going to find someone who agrees with you. And then you're going to think you're right, even though you could be completely wrong. But fault finders tend to hang out with other fault finders, and Jesus calls them hypocrites. And we'll find out why in John chapter 7. Now, on the other hand, you have people who are looking for spiritual fulfillment. Now, notice this. Instead of uh, they don't see this, the bigger picture, these guys see the bigger picture. They get an idea, okay, let's take a step back and see what God's doing. They, instead of not knowing about God's grace, they know about God's grace. And instead of hanging out with others, they venture out. They venture out, and we'll see how that factors in Psalm 107, and we'll call them happy. We'll call them blessed. So let's start John chapter 7. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. We'll pick up, we'll overlap a little bit from where Danny was sharing last week. So beginning in verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own uh, authority. Verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Didn't Moses give you the, the law, and yet none of you keeps the law? And they're going, what? Now, we'll find out there's Pharisees in this group, and they're thinking, my whole life is spent keeping the law says, no, you all break it. Why do you seek to kill me? Now that's a, they go, what are you talking about? So in verse 20, they said, you've got a demon. No one's seeking to kill you. And Jesus answered and said to them, if I did, I did one work and you all marvel. Now he's referring back a, a couple chapters where he healed a man on the Sabbath. And they find fault with that. And here is chapters later, he's going, these guys are still, you never got over that. I did one work, 
and you all marvel. Verse 22, Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Now he's going to share, this is why you're such hypocrites. And not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. That's work. That's what he's pointing out. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law, uh, 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 so the law of Moses should not be broken, why are you angry with, with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Don't, don't judge according to the uh, appearance, but judge according to righteous judgment. So this is what's going on. They're finding fault. He says, look, we would do well to follow Jesus' uh, way of life here. They're asking, hey, what's your opinion on this? And he goes, I'm not going to share my opinion. I, I'm, a, I'm an, a, um, an ambassador, which I'm supposed to properly, truthfully represent the one who sent me. I'm to hear, I'm, I'm, as an ambassador, I'm not sharing my opinion. I'm sharing my king's opinion who's in a foreign land. Be careful when people try to suck you into an argument and ask you constantly, what's your opinion? What's your opinion? Because Jesus would always answer, it is written. One time Billy Graham was on uh, Johnny Carson's show, the late Tonight Show, whatever. And Johnny Carson kept asking Billy Graham, hey, so what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And Billy Graham wisely answered every time, Jesus said, it is written. So you see, he's an ambassador properly representing the king of a foreign land. So they're finding fault. Jesus said, look, I did one work. And you're just blown out about it. He's referring to the healing that he committed on a Sabbath. They don't have a problem that Jesus healed, but he healed on a Sabbath. They're saying, you know, six days a guy can get healed but on the Sabbath. You don't do that kind of work, which is so silly. So the Pharisees were there in verse 32. We'll, we find Pharisees are present. What do we know about the Pharisees? Real short history lesson. They started off right on. They were at the end of the uh, book of Malachi. And to the beginning of the book of Matthew. So Malachi ends the Old Testament. Matthew begins the New Testament. There's 400 years of scriptural silence. And the Pharisees get together and go, you know, I think people are slacking. I think they're full of compromise. I think we need to get together and just be fervent for the Lord. Be on fire. So they started off great. But after a while, it became such a work of the flesh. They became hardened of the arteries, and they became like these fault finders. And so here they are, the, this group, 400 years later, they're a bunch of fault finders. So there's about 6,000 of them at this point in, in uh, the New Testament. 6,000. And they're just, uh, they wanted this codified law. If you've ever heard that, you Bible students, what it means is a systematic arrangement of the law. Let me explain. First five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, were written by Moses. So you go on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Pharisees said, okay, that was the God-inspired word to man. And then the, the scribes would come in and they would codify that. They would put it in a, an arranged order where you can, okay, I can see it. Those first five books, this is what it means spelled out. But watch this. What they did to codify the law, they wrote the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a, it's like a commentary 
on those first five books. Have I lost you yet? It's a commentary. Giving an example, this breaking the Sabbath, it's, a, it's a, uh, one of the first of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Goes on to say, in six days you can work, Sabbath day, rest. And so what they did with that, they write 24 chapters to explain that one verse. That's kind of an overkill. So the Mishnah has, oh, you know what God meant when he said, keep it holy? Let's write 24 chapters on how we're supposed to do that. That sounds very legalistic to me. Now, as if that wasn't enough, then they write the Talmud to explain the Mishnah. Have I lost you? We got the commandments. We got the first five books of the Bible. Oh, let's explain what that means. So we'll write the Mishnah and 24 chapters from the Mishnah are explaining one verse in the Bible, keep the Sabbath holy. And if that's not clear enough, we'll write the Talmud to explain the Mishnah, which explains the, the commandments. So Jesus said, okay, they're saying, Jesus, you healed someone on the Sabbath. So what they're saying is, you broke the interpretation to the interpretation. All right? He's going, man, you guys are confusing. So Jesus at one point says, listen, guys, you have it all wrong. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. People think, oh, God had this crazy idea. I'm going to make this Sabbath that's going to be so restrictive and so annoying and I'm put people in a bad mood and I got this little box and I'm going to create man and squeeze him into that box so he'll be miserable. Do you understand some people think that of God? Yeah, all his laws are just there, there to make me miserable. Can't stand it. Jesus said, you got it backwards. The Sabbath was made for man. Meaning God knew our propensity to go overboard to overwork. And this, he goes, listen, for your own good, I'm going to make a law where you have to rest. And it'll be good. And you'll be restored and revived. And you'll think of me. And it's called the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for man, not the opposite. Here's their hypocrisy explained. This is what Jesus gets into. He goes, okay, look. You circumcised on the eighth day. Moses said to do that. Now, they didn't know that at the time, but we do. Eighth day is when vitamin K is at its high. And that's what you need to start the healing process. So on the eighth day, okay, we'll do that. But what if the eighth day falls on a Sabbath? They still did it. They still did it. He goes, well, you're doing that, and that's work. And yet... You, you're, you're mad at me for healing a man? I'm not cutting a baby. I'm healing the entire man, and, and you're all freaked out about that. So it's the idea, let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look at the original intent of circumcision. It's this ritual, kind of like baptism today. Baptism, a public display of something that happened inside. My heart's been washed from sin. I want the world to know I'm living unto Jesus. Well, circumcision went a little deeper than that. It says, I have this covenant relationship with God. And get this, 
This circumcision is what God requires for me to enter this relationship because it goes way deep. Even the private parts of my life are submitted unto God. That's what it meant. He said, look, God's not interested in some surface level relationship. God wants my heart. God wants the secret things of my life to be exposed to him. That's what it stood for. So what about, what's the bigger picture, the original tent of the Sabbath? Here's Jesus' argument, really. Well, it's a day of rest. It's a day to be restored, to seek God, stop from your labor. Well, that affected their behavior. That once a week, work would stop. So then it comes to this. What's the original intent? What's the bigger picture of this guy getting healed on Sabbath? This is Jesus' basic argument. Well, that guy set apart one day to seek the Lord, to be restored, to be revived. That's what the purpose of the Sabbath was. And so Jesus literally restores him. He literally touches him. Now, why are you finding fault with that? See, he's going, look, this is Sabbath. Sabbath is to be restored and revived by God, right? Yes. This guy set apart the day of the Sabbath. I, received, I restored him. I revived him. I healed him. So why are you finding fault? Basically saying, you're hypocrites. And then he ends this section by saying, don't judge according to the outward appearance. Do it with righteous judgment. Guys, you're like me. You've made some mistakes here. The old saying, you don't judge a book by its cover. And there's uh, sometimes it's the, the, the least dressed or the poorly dressed person in the room has the best wisdom. And he says, don't judge it. Don't judge it with, uh, by appearance, but by righteous judgment. See, here's the problem. Eventually, we know, the Bible says every knee, that means everyone in here, like it or not, sooner or later, you will, most likely when Jesus comes back, you're going to bend the knee. You're going to bow before him. You're going to confess with your tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord. God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Not everybody wants that to happen. They look at him and go, I don't, I don't like him. He's, he's, you know, he's making too many waves. He, I, I don't like what he's doing, and now he's even healing on the Sabbath. So what's your solution? Well, let's just kill him. That's why he said, why are you seeking to kill me? I, I, I healed a guy on the Sabbath. And that's where, so he had these guys follow him around, trying to trip him up and, and get him twisted in his words, and then they were trying to conveniently find a time to kill him. Those were the fault finders. Now we go to the spiritual fulfillment finders. So now we're flipping over to Psalm 107. I absolutely love this psalm. This happened recently. at a, We had a dinner for elders and wives. And uh, Kevin Carrillo, one of our elders, expressed such a desire to know more of God to see God move in power, in the gifts of the Spirit. And everyone in the room was going, amen, amen. And I kept thinking of the psalm, how it means so much to me. 
And, and I actually wrote something from this as a little devotion. I sent it out to some people. So in Psalm 107, it says, some, some people call this Psalm, God to the rescue, all right? Now, if you don't have it there, I've got the verse. We're just going to key in on some, some main verses. There are four groups of people that God rescues in Psalm 107. We're just going to go to the fourth one, the last one, those who are getting beaten up while out at sea in their, their ships. But it starts off, oh, give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His mercy endures forever. And I had this question. Do you ever think that you ran out of God's mercy? Do you ever think, like, you know, that's an, I just, I blew it. When's the last time you had a Romans 7 experience where Paul the Apostle goes, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's just, uh, in, their, in their culture, they would strap a dead body onto you and you'd carry it around until you would die along with that dead body. And he says, you know what? This is an apostle, guys. He's kind of up there. And he's kind of still struggling. The, the temptation is getting too tempting. And he goes, who's going to deliver me? I, I just think I, I, it's that Romans 7 experience, something's bringing out the worst in me. So he gets into Romans 8. Oh, thank you, God, for Jesus Christ. Thank you for resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. But when you're in that, you ever think you're out of God's mercy? I have Hebrews 4, 16. You know, come to the throne of grace that you may receive grace and mercy, that you may obtain it in your time of need. The problem is, when I need God's grace the most, I feel I'm so unworthy. I don't go to him. And that's when I need him the most. So a bunch of us fasted the last week for three days. And it was before the prayer meeting. And I think people thought you had to fast in order to show up for the prayer meeting. And that wasn't the idea. It was just a denial of the bodily appetites to promote the spiritual appetites. It can be a glorified diet, okay? Sometimes I think I did that more than just really get on my face before God. But you know, sometimes when you're fasting, it brings out the worst. It's like the junk starts bubbling to the surface. You go, I didn't even know, I thought I was doing okay. And then this gross stuff starts bubbling up. So I was talking to one guy. I won't name him. He might be on staff in his mid-30s. And he's told me, you know, I, I get so cranky when I don't eat dinner at night. See, the first night I'm arguing with my wife. The second night I'm arguing with my kids. I get so cranky when I'm fasting. I didn't have the heart to tell him, dude, you're cranky all the time. You know, I'm just, don't blame it on fasting. Just, uh, no, he's, he's a blessing. Does it bring out the Romans 7 in you? Actually, I hope you see the Romans 7. I, I don't want to be the only one. I, I hope you come to this point where you go, man, alive. I've been at this for a while. I thought I'd be a little bit more like Jesus by now. But I, I just, I need resurrection power. And so then he goes on, let the redeemed of the earth say so. <laughs> let the redeemed. I just love this. He's redeemed us from the hand of the enemy. Yeah, I've got the old two steps forward, three steps back sometimes, not all the time, but I've been redeemed. Do you understand this command? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
So in the midst of failure, in the midst of victory, in the midst of more than an overcomer, I get to say, you know what? I've been redeemed. I've been bought with a price. Let the redeemed say so. Do you understand that God pays attention when we talk about him? You ever been at a party and somebody mentions your name? You go, what? 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 Did I do good or bad? If it's good, I want to hear it. If it's bad, bad on you. I was going to say something stronger, but. Let the redeemed of the earth say so. I'm going through trials. You're going through trials. Do you stop and say, but God is good. His mercy, his mercy is forever. Let the redeemed of the earth say, and the Lord's going, hey, what are you going to say about me? I want to hear this. Now, the finding fault depends on what you're looking for. We're skipping to the fourth group of people. There's four groups that God delivers here. The last one is found in verses 23 and 24. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great water, so they're not in a pond, they're out in sea. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders of the deep. What do you mean? Well, it describes the storms at sea. It gets so kooky, watch this. They were in verse 27, they're at their wit's end. Some of you showed up here this morning at your wit's end. Some of you, it's been a while since you've been there, then been that desperate. But they're going, I don't get it. I went out to sea. I'm doing this in the Lord's name. I thought it'd be smooth sailing. I'm at my wit's end. And how many would, re would, would uh, just review, oh, okay, my, I wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for that person over there. I wouldn't be in this situation if this thing had just worked out the way I prayed about. I wouldn't be here and just fill in the blank. When's the last time you're at your wit's end and really thinking, I'm in the middle of what God's called me to do? They're at their wit's end. So I don't know if you see what's happening in this psalm. These guys, the ones who see God do wonders... The ones who are interested in spiritual fulfillment rather than fault finding, they go out and they see God move because they have left their comfort zones. They left their comfort zone. They left their fear. They said, I'm going to venture out, right? So you go, okay, so it was smooth sailing, right? They're doing what God created them to do. You know, Psalm 20, verse 4, may he grant you according to your heart's desire, fulfill all your purpose. Oh, it's smooth sailing. No, they're at their wit's end. God, I've, I'm out of solutions. I'm out of suggestions. And so what they do in the next verse, after being in their wit's end, they, they cry out to him. Wow, God used it to revive their prayer life. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He answers their prayer. He's actually using this at wit's end to their benefit, to a spiritual revival. Watch this. Look at what he does now. So in, by verse 30, part B, it says, he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, you're going to pray? To, I'm, I'm going to get to that desired haven. Then he turns the wilderness. Whenever you see wilderness in the Bible, it's not a forest. It's a desert. He turns the dry times into pools of water. 
dry land into water springs. So there's a time when they're praying, they couldn't even envision this. <laughs> they're just saying, God, if you could get me out of this. He says, I'll do more than that. I'll take you to your desired haven. I'll take you to a, a life of overflow to where your cup runneth over. Okay, how about this? He blesses them and they multiply greatly. They, they, they went from, I'm at wit's end, could you just get me out of this to where, what? You're blessing me greatly? Okay, what else? This is where it all comes together. Towards the end of the verse, or end of the psalm, verse 43, whoever is wise, you want to be there? I want to be wise. Who's ever wise will observe these things, what? Going out to sea, getting to wit's end, prayer life revived, receiving the promises. You will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The hasad of the Lord, you'll understand how God loves to be kind. You, you get to this point where, oh, now, I mean, I'm, I, and now I see in the rearview mirror, I go, it's so clear. <laughs> I, I, I see why I needed that storm. I see why I needed to get to my wit's end so I can lean on him, so I could press in, so I could be fervent in my prayer. I, can, I see it now. I, I see God's loving kindness was at work, that, that Romans 8.28 was at work. That all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Like, I, I didn't make sense. In the storm, it was just crazy. It was, I didn't get it. I felt like he left me. And instead, he blessed me. The end, they look back and they go, I want to be wise. I want to confess. God had his fingerprints all over that trial. God brought me to my wit's end. I cried out to him, and he gave me promises that I really didn't even see coming. So then I ask, wait. What about those who don't venture out? They never leave their, their comfort zone. Because this psalm is for those who left their comfort zone, who ventured out. You go, oh, well, there's a whole other group of people, it might be a bigger group of people who never leave the docks. Or you know what? They have their boats, they have their ships, they're tied up at the dock. They mop the deck, they paint it, they polish the brass, they never take it out. Or if they do, they race the little rowboat across the canal, across the bay, and they go, okay, I won the race, I feel so good about it. Come on, it's seaworthy. Take it out, go to Kauai. Go to Midway Island, go to the South Pacific. Venture out. You have a ship that's made for this. You're, 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 you're tying it up in fear. You're, you're afraid to venture out. Oh, what will happen? You know what? The end result, those who are wise, they'll see the loving kindness of God all over the whole thing. Venture out. So there's a song. Karen and I like, my wife Karen, if you're new here and you go, who's this Karen he's talking about? He's kind of fancies her. Married for 46 years. It means that poor woman. But anyway, we like, we go to New York, go to Times Square. We like, uh, go to shows. 
don't know if you've ever done it. It's awesome. And, and you go there. We saw um, Phantom of the Opera. Do you ever see that? I mean, it sounded just like that. I know. And I sit there, and I'm going, how in the world can anyone sing like that? How come God blessed them a zillion times more, and he skipped over me? I was singing this morning, I'm like, I just heard my voice crackle. I felt bad for the people around me. But we go there, we're just like, we're amazed at these shows and how they communicate things. So there's one, The Greatest Showman. It's not a Broadway play yet, but if it is, I'll go. It's the story of P.T. Barnum. Great trivia question. What does P.T. stand for? Phineas Taylor Barnum. You go, Mom, seriously? You couldn't have found something. No wonder he said P.T. Barnum. So it's from the 1800s, how he started the three-ring circus, how he took risks. But then you think, wait a minute, this guy crashed and burned a couple of times along the way. Literally, they burned down the circus. So in this song called The Tightrope, his wife, who had to be cuckoo herself to follow this guy, sings about it. Some people long, I won't sing it. You're missing out. Some people long for a life that is simple and planned, tied with a ribbon, everything's so clean. Some people won't sail the sea because they're safer on land to follow what's written. But watch this, but I'd follow you. She's singing it to her husband. I'd follow you to the great unknown. Off to a world we call our own. Now, the people who leave their ships at the boat, at the dock, they hear that song, and whoa, 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 there's dangers out there. There's sharks, there's more eels, there's, you know, storms. I mean, what is this? Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, what, the, what is that? That's all you got? I go, yeah, there's that stuff. You know what else there is? Adventure. You'll be fulfilling the reason God created you. You'll be stepping out. You don't have to be an idiot. You don't have to be crazy. It's the opposite of being tied to the dock the rest of your life. It's the opposite of, of only functioning by fear, by safety. You don't have to be crazy. It's to be obedient to what God's called you to do. This story just came to my mind. I'm, I, this wasn't planned. Uh, one time, there's times you don't know what the next step is. I mean, what the end result is. You just know the next step. So one time I had this guy come over to my house on January 1st, you know, New Year's Day. I'm watching the Rose Bowl like any American man. Rose Bowl, football game. He cries. He's bawling, broken, sobbing. I turn off the game. He's telling me a story. I go, I couldn't believe it. I saw my hand extend with my car keys. And here, take my car. It's yours. Not the biggest deal. Someone had given me a car just before that. But with this car, I'm, it was in the process of selling it so I could build a, a, an addition to our house so we could have Bible studies. So as I'm handing in the key, I'm thinking, there goes the addition. All I know is God's saying, give it to him. Give it to him. And I just okay, there's no more addition, but this is what God, I, we might die tonight. I want to die in obedience. That guy took that car, 
took several families from our church, went down the street and planted a, another church and said I was a false teacher. I said, I want my car back. One guy, I told him the story, he goes, oh, you should call the cops and report it as a stolen car. <laughs> you know where it is at that church. Church fell apart, his marriage fell apart, his assistant's marriage fell apart. And then somebody gave us the addition anyway. And for you who've been at our house for Bible studies, you've been in this addition. We got it. I don't always like, I, I don't like telling stories where I always look like a hero, but this time I did it right. And that happens. When I gave him the key, I had no clue what was going to happen next. I just knew God said, do it, go, venture out. And then he blessed me anyway. And here, they're saying, look, I don't know. Well, there's all those things. I don't know what's going to happen. I just, yeah, you might have fulfillment. You might sing like never before. Your prayer life might take off to new heights. You, you might have more fruitfulness than, than ever before. So she sings at the end of her song to her husband. I'd risk it all for you. This is what I do with that song. Imagine singing that to Jesus. I'd risk it all for you. I'm not planning on getting stupid. I'm not just venturing off on my own. I'm venturing off in obedience. I want to be like Peter. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. If it's not you, I'm staying in the boat. So I wrote this thing, a devotion from Psalm 107. It started again with the elders' dinner, and then I kept thinking about it. And, and when I do that, I just send it out randomly, usually missionaries, because I'm of the firm belief that missionaries are on the front lines and they need encouragement. And so I sent him. So my first one was to my best friend in India, Lalachan. You know what he did? Instantly he calls me up. You know, you have that WhatsApp. So he, and I see his mug there. And you, immediately you have to start bobbing your head. Aloha, Pastor Mike. You must come back to, to India. Yeah, dude, I'm down. You know, just... So then just go from there to Japan, Steve White in the Philippines, some guy in Mexico, a couple of guys in India and um, Africa. And they responded. Let me, let me read. These, I'll read from two missionaries that you helped support. First is Jason. He was on staff here for years. He's now serving the Lord with his family. <laughs> four, boy, four, four kids, three boys and a girl, and a wife. They're in Northern Africa right now. He writes back, what a great word. I was just thinking this week about those who don't venture out, and they still have storms. They, they, they just don't get to experience all the Lord has for them and those great victories that are in the Lord. When, when someone doesn't share the gospel, they, they don't see what, when that person turns from their sin and trusts in Jesus and the freedom that comes from that. When someone doesn't disciple those, they miss out on seeing God grow that person in a way that they become more than overcomers and, and they're on the go and they make their own disciples. 
When someone doesn't step out to pray over a sick person, you miss the opportunity for God to do a miracle and healing take place. Jesus sends the disciples out in Luke 10, and it's not all victories. But when he asked them, how did it go? The disciples shared all the miracles that God had done. Jesus then directs them to the glory that should be about having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And by, it's by far the greatest miracle and nothing can compare with being a part. Having your names written, written there and it's a crazy gift that only comes from God's grace and from abiding in him and living out all that he commanded us to do. Don't you, aren't you glad we're supporting this guy? What a gift, Jason continues. It is not only to be called a child of God, but to be forgiven and set free. Also to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be able to be active and a part of his plan to redeem the world. He ends by saying, thank you for being an example of this in my life. Thank you for so many years ago inviting me to join you as you follow Jesus. What a gift. Then there's Steve White, who's now a missionary in the Philippines. We've known him for years. He was one of our Ohana group leaders. He's a really well doing good businessman here in Hawaii. He was on our board of directors. And one day he says, I think uh, God's telling me to quit and move to uh, the Philippines. I thought, you're crazy, dude. Just, uh, this is five years later. He responds to the Psalm 107. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike. What a blessing to receive this word of encouragement. I remember after God led me out of the paint business and into the flooring industry nearly 10 years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. I was a lost sheep in the eyes of my peers who had spent most of their entire careers in the flooring industry. I remember telling my bosses who were six time zones away that I sometimes felt like I was on an island in the middle of the Pacific without an, an office staff of support. And then I would say, Oh yeah, I am on an island in the middle of the Pacific. It was their desire to support me however they could. But with being nearly 5,000 miles away, they, there was little they could do. Going on five years now in the Philippines, I sometimes think about similar and uh, think something similar and, and, and laugh to myself. Here I am on a tiny, tiny island in the middle of the Philippine Sea, lacking the weekly a body ministry from my home church that I so dearly long for, but God, God has blessed me in so many ways and grown me closer to him more than I could ever imagine. You have to understand, he went there and he took over a mess. And he was this rock that put things right. I had left my boat dockside in Honolulu, oh, I'm sorry. Had I left my boat tied up at the dock in Honolulu, under the safety net of job security, I never would have received the multitude of blessings from the children uh, loving on me as I go about the schools, the villages, the community. I never would have met her, Lynn. That's his wife. He met a Filipino gal and scooped her up. Been able to embrace the daughter who calls me dad. I never would have had the opportunity to pour into teachers' lives and and encourage them as they begin a new life in Christ. I never would have gotten to baptize teachers in the Philippine Sea. 
never would have gotten to experience the many blessings and testimonies of others of how God has moved in their lives here in the Philippines. God is so faithful. God is so good. Through the many storms of serving God here in the Philippines, the Lord has allowed me firsthand to witness his wonderful or wondrous works. I cannot help but shout out with the Psalms. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. It is a privilege to support these guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you got to leave everything and be a missionary if you're going to amount to anything. That's not even close to what I'm saying. I'm saying it's the opposite of staying tied up to the dock, looking at the storms, there's snakes, there's adventure, there's spiritual fulfillment. God created you not to just stand in fear tied up to a dock. Get out there and witness to somebody. How about stirring up your spiritual gifts? It might have been a while since you've just spoken out in the name of the Lord. It might be a while since you've witnessed to somebody and even had the boldness to say, do you want to pray right now? Do you want to ask Christ? See, some people, they'll share a little thing, but they, they fall short of just saying, let's pray right now. What's to stop you from praying right now to ask Christ into your heart? If you had died last night, you'd be in eternity. One of two places, heaven or hell, where would you be and why? And if they can't say I'd be in heaven only because of Jesus Christ, Press on further. You don't have to leave all and become a missionary on the other side of the world. You have to leave the dock. The dock of fear. The dock of safety. The dock of overly concerned. And to say, you know what? I don't know the final step. I know the next step. Give the key. I know the next step. Obedience. And there we go from there. All right, let's close. There will be times in your life you'll be at wit's end. That's not a prophecy. That's common sense. If you're not there today, it'll happen. And you say, thanks for the depressing message. It's, God's going to use it. He uses those things to get our attention. And then we're at wit's end and we cry out, we pray to him, and then finally we go, oh, I see the end result. So, uh, will you be seeking faults or fulfillment? It depends what you're looking for. See, those seeking faults, they pride themselves, they comfort themselves in pointing out your flaws, my faults. And there's plenty, it's easy to do. But to just congregate and say, hey, do you, do you believe this guy? Do you know what she just did? And, and they're, they're congregating as fault finders. Or will you be one that says, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not going to get reckless. I want to be obedient. I want to leave the fear behind. I want to leave the overly, because I want my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. And where he leads, I will follow. Whoever is wise will observe these things. That's how the psalm ends. They will understand <laughs> the loving kindness. Come on, man. Do you want to get to heaven before you realize that? Or do you want to embrace it right here on earth? I get it. I went through such a dry spell. I went through such a storm. I went through such gossiping. I went through, and man, God used it. I see the whole bigger picture now, and it's 
the loving kindness of the Lord. So Psalm 102, or 107 verse two says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Have you been redeemed? Because Jesus said, I'm sorry, Paul, Peter, the apostle, said, we've been redeemed. Now, often, if there was a slave being auctioned off, you'd redeem the slave with silver or with gold. He says, that's not how we're redeemed. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If you ever think God's mad at you, or just he's fed up with you, said, get out of here. Would you look at it this way? He's invested the blood of his son to pay for your sins and mine. He's all in. He's committed. He's committed to the end where he sees you coming home into his presence, and that's when it's going to hit. Oh, everything was worth it. Everything was worth it. Have you been redeemed? I know it's not, we only think of redeeming coupons or something. We're talking about redeeming your soul. And it's not by doing some good works. It's not by crawling across broken glass with your bare knees. It's accepting a price that was paid for you by Jesus Christ. He did it willingly. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. God has a claim on your life. He claims he created you in his image. He claims you and I have sinned, every one of us. He claims there's one way to have your sin forgiven is by Jesus Christ. And he claims if you would surrender your life to him and ask him to forgive you and lead you and be your good shepherd, he'll lead you home to heaven. The God who cannot lie makes promises he cannot break. If you don't know him, receive him now. That's why he's brought you here. Let's pray.